Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In today's episode, guest hosted by author Christine Arvidsson, we visit with Kathleen Basie, author of A Song for the Road, a poignant journey of grief, love, and acceptance. Miriam Tedesco is still grieving the loss of her husband and twin teenagers one year ago. After finding an automated cross-country road trip planned by her children for Miriam and her husband to take his soon-to-be empty nesters, Miriam decides to take the trip in their honor. Barbara Claypool, best-selling author of The Perfect Son and The Promise Between Us, had this to say about the book. An emotionally complex story about reconciling love with loss and the healing power of music. I loved every scene from the first to the last. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereadspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Listeners, as I said, uh, this is a guest-hosted episode. Uh, I'm pleased that I've got Christine Arvison today as my guest host. Christine was on the uh, podcast. You can check her out. Uh, just go to our guest list at uh, the website, charlotterspodcast.com, and look for her name, uh, and you'll find her, her episode there. She lives in Charlotte. She's uh, gone from a 20-plus year Pittsburghian, if that's the right word, to uh, here in North Carolina, where she teaches in the English department at UNC Charlotte. She's co-edited three anthologies. She's got a, a chat book coming out next year, and I thought, because she was a flutist or a flautist or however you say it, uh, she would be perfect for this uh, episode because uh, Kathleen is uh, into the music too. So now I'm going to actually turn the uh, audio controls over to Christine to welcome Kathleen and uh, conduct the interview. Thank you, Landis. Hi, Kathleen. Glad to have you here with our Charlotte Readers podcast. Thanks for having me. 
I like to start by talking about the title. Um, I'm always curious with novelists um, how much they um, influence the title, if the title is theirs or if the title was imposed by the publisher. <laughs> uh, this title um, was an evolving masterpiece that came um, eventually from Alcove Press. I had no idea what to call this. I just took to calling it pilgrimage because that's what she's doing. She's taking a cross-country pilgrimage. And um, I knew that that wasn't going to work. And it got sent under the title Love Song. And then it got switched in the, um, in the submission process to lo the Lost Song. And then at Alcove, it became a song for the road. So it, it, definitely, it definitely evolved. And I, I never claim to be an expert at titling. I always take everyone else's word on that. Yeah, it's all it's a curious process and it's probably a lot of times for people the most collaborative part of the writing process for a novelist. That's true. Your main character, Miriam, is a um church musician. And I think that's such a wonderful choice because it's so flexible um, and you're able to do so many different things. Um, within that that profession for Miriam and her husband. Tell me about why you chose that for your character. Well, you know, I'm a musician myself and my background is classical music training. I'm a, I have a master's in flute. But um, the music that I do these days and for probably the past 20 years has been primarily church music myself. Um, I also do, uh, I, I write music for for use in worship. And so just having been in that community for as long as I have, I know, um, I know how powerful it can be and how you're constantly caught between the real world and, um, this, and this influence of the other world that's out there beyond it and how those two rest sort of uneasily sometimes. And it's very easy to, um, say all the platitudes to other people. For instance, if I were, I worked as a, as a liturgy music director at a Catholic parish. And um, so I, I could say all the right things to the people who come in grieving um, for funerals. But if it comes to, uh, the, this book gave me a chance to really explore what it would feel like on the other side of that dynamic, to be that person who now has to wrestle with these questions on her own behalf rather than um, representing the larger institution. But I loved, initially I had hoped that I was going to be able to have a much stronger presence of the community that surrounded her at her church. It did not turn out that way, but um, that was where it began. I Just knowing the community that surrounds this kind of work, I wanted to really uh, reflect that because it's so beautiful and it's not something that you generally see reflected in literature. Well, right. Her, I know you say um, that music had helped her connect with the divine and through it with others. Yes. So yes, that, and it, it, it really is, it really is a music is something that, that we, you know, my kids and I will joke a lot about um, conversations they have at school because we're not big sports people. And I say, what, even what sports event ever is successful without music. Music is so fundamental to human experience. 
I don't ever want to go to a baseball game without taking me out to the ball game at some <laughs> point myself. Um, you were talking about wanting to maybe include more about the community, um, which makes me think about Becky as the best friend because she is so great, right? Everybody yeah. would love to have a Becky in their life. Um, she is a wonderful steward of secrets. And yet Miriam isn't quite capable of sharing everything with Becky, is she? That's correct. She, without giving too many spoilers, because um, you need to read the book to get to that, uh, Miriam has things in her past that she feels don't really line up with her vision of what and how people look at her. I mean, you're in the church and you think that you're supposed to be a certain way and she didn't always live up to that expectation. And so um, she has this past that she doesn't want anybody to know about really because she's ashamed of it. She doesn't want anyone to know. And even her best friend in the church who is an incredibly competent and um, supportive person, Miriam just feels that she she has to hold up this image of herself as the perfect, you know, church person. And so she doesn't, so she doesn't share that. And it ends up that it ends up that that secret is eating her from the inside out. And that's, she spends a lot of the book trying to decide. Um, there's one person in particular who she feels has been harmed by the keeping of this secret. And that's one of the things that she's really struggling with throughout the book is now that now that the the family is gone, does it matter anymore? And right. what where does honesty where does honesty play into that? Um, Anne Miriam has told herself um, an entire story about her background um, in the book, and has some very firm ideas about what her life has really been about. And it's so interesting the way you take her through this journey of um, not just the physical journey, but the journey that she has in within herself and how she figures out what parts of that story are really true and what parts are not. Yeah. She has a lot of that to figure out because she's, she has uh, based her entire understanding of her world and her background upon a memory that, uh, that, she that that has caused her to be at odds with her family as well and so you don't find out until the very end what the whole context of that is or right. well not the very end but pretty close to the end um and and so learning it, it it is really i love the journey of the heart i love the fact that she takes this road trip she's not going to big, um, obvious landmarks. Like it seems like every road trip stops at the Grand Canyon. Well, mine does not. Um, these are a little off the cuff, off the beaten path kinds of places, mostly that, um, most people won't have ever heard of, but there are things that every, in every one of those places, she encounters someone who helps her to pry open one more layer, peel back one more layer of that onion until you get to the really core of, of who she is and what she's, what her life has been and what she wants it to be in the future. She um, meets and um, is uncharacteristically open to this friendship with Dicey. Tell us a little bit about where Dicey comes from and what she's about. 
Dicey is a young woman um, who is very close to the age of Miriam's lost daughter and in some ways is very much like her. So Miriam sort of bonds with her instantly. Miriam is, or uh, excuse me, Dicey is pregnant and, and hitchhiking along the road in West Virginia when Miriam encounters her and, and the little conscience on her shoulder, which is the voice of her husband, tells her that she needs to stop and offer this girl a ride. And, uh, and Dicey is really not interested. Miriam has to actually push pretty hard to get her to get in the car at all. And, uh, but, but almost immediately the two of them hit it off and it, it, it ends up that Dicey is traveling with her all the way across the country and is really good for Miriam because she won't let Miriam wallow. And that's, and she's, she's snarky and sassy and she has this incredible zest for life that keeps Miriam from, um, from sinking too far into her own head in all of this. Yes, she's very, um, she challenges Miriam in some very interesting ways. And of course, she has a secret too, which is another layer to what's going on in their, in their journey. Yes, I definitely did not want her to be just a a one dimensional sidekick. Um, So, and, and actually Dicey's secret, the thing that she absolutely does not want to share is something that's going to also impact Miriam in the end. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how uh, you talked about reading uh, or you talked about reading leading to writing um, and music playing or listening to music. How does that lead to composing? I just wanted to touch on that briefly because it's just so interesting to me that the reading and writing seem to feel like solitary um, activities and Mm -hmm. the playing and listening to music and composing, maybe not so much. Composing is a fairly solitary activity, but definitely music is something that is best done in, in community. I would agree with that, at least for me as a flute player. Um, I remember in grad school, a teacher giving a lot of trouble. He was a pianist and he could never understand how anyone would want to play any instrument other than the piano because you had to have help in order to do the whole, to get an entire piece of music out there. A flute, a flutist, there is music that's for solo flute, but um, the music that we most love is flute with piano or flute with you know, woodwind quintet or flute with orchestra or simply playing in an orchestra. And he um, and this teacher was really um, proud of his own instrument because you could be a soloist and be totally by yourself. Um, but I really love the community. There is something just just being in an orchestra. That was my dream when I was in college um, was to play professionally in an orchestra. And I I just love love playing in orchestra, the being in a community. It's, there's a point in the book at which Miriam sort of um, waxes rhapsodic about how her choir will start after singing together for so long, she'll put a piece of music in front of her choir that no one has ever seen before. And they will all make the same rhythmic mistake because they've, there's just this random thing that, that has happened. Um, There's this I don't know. I I will say that for myself, I believe that we as human beings have a lot more uh, communication going on that we are not aware of. I think there are, I think our minds are more powerful than we know. 
and that things are going on that we have not uncovered through science yet. I do think that we know things about each other and the more that we know each other, the more true that is. And music really facilitates that because it gets to a level below the conscious. It gets to a level more fundamental to our soul. And I, uh, I feel like I've just kind of gone off on a tangent there, but I really, (laughs) (laughs) but I do think that music is very much a communal thing. Um, And writing, but in many ways, so is writing, honestly, because you, I have a great critique group. I take this novel, I write a mess of a rough draft. I put it in front of my critique group and they say, this doesn't work because, and they, because we've worked together for so long that they know where I'm coming from and I know where they're coming from. Yes. And I don't write the whole book straight through. I end up writing one section three, four times in a row until I get it right. And I'm on the right track. And it it's, so there is, it is my story, but there's definitely a community behind it is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. This might be a good time for you to um, read to us from your novel, A Song for the Road. Yes, I am going to read. Now, let me stop. I'm going to read from a section where Miriam is on her is on her road trip and she's at her first stop, which is the Green Bank Radio Telescope, which is an enormous telescope in the middle of the mountains, in the middle of a radio quiet zone. Miriam clasped the chain link fence. The emptiness around her, the emptiness within, cried out to be filled the way she'd filled the endless ticking seconds of the past year. Of the days and weeks following her family's death, she remembered very little. She could rattle off everything they sang at the funeral, every well-meaning but insensitive comment, but the events themselves had vanished from her memory. For weeks, every waking moment had been devoted to the struggle to draw breath, and every sleeping one to surviving the nightmares. It was like being pinned to a dartboard, never knowing when the next projectile would come squealing out of the mist. And truthfully, there wasn't that much of substance to remember. For years, her life had involved a planner tightly packed with school presentations and doctor visits, rehearsals and camps, with informational forms paperclipped onto certain weeks and lists tucked into the cover, baking breads and meals and desserts, deep cleaning the house, learning accompaniments for solos and drawing up music lists for church while waiting at cello or piano lessons. Madness, always madness. And then suddenly, nothing. No one to talk to, no one who needed her, nothing to fill the emptiness, nothing to occupy her mind or her hands, just never-ending nights waiting for the sun to rise and never-ending days waiting for it to set again. Memories, memories and self-recrimination. Getting busy had changed all that, and one morning, when the maple tree outside her window was just beginning to blush and school bus brakes were shrieking along the residential streets, Miriam woke to the realization that she'd slept through the night. A few days later, she'd smiled at a video on Facebook, and she'd thought, I might actually survive this. A cow mood, the sound muted by distance and echoing faintly off the telescope. If she sang out here amid this great emptiness, Would the silence swallow her voice, or would it too echo off that vast white dish and reverberate in her own heart? The cool breeze sighed through the pines, causing her gauzy skirt and the ribbon trailing from her hat to flutter, like the little thing with feathers perched on her soul and just now pulling its head from beneath its wing. Miriam glanced behind her. The road stood empty. She faced the telescope, raised herself into proper singing posture, 
and let the air vibrate her vocal cords. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies. It was one of Blaze's favorite hymns, but in this great, vast emptiness, her voice sounded small, hesitant. She put a little more muscle behind the sound. For the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child. Her voice cracked. Silence swallowed the sound as if it had never been. Miriam wove her fingers into the fence again and bowed her head. Please, she whispered. It was the best she could come up with. Silence. What did she expect it? A cosmic event? An angelic visitation? Communing with landmarks couldn't fix what was wrong with her. The little bird in her soul dove for cover. Miriam shoved backward and shook her fist at the telescope. You're just a stupid inanimate object. What the hell am I doing singing to you anyway? Her words bounced off the dish like a mischievous sprite, poking fun at her temper tantrum and disappeared into the great emptiness. And then, with a hum of electricity and the whirring of motors, the white behemoth beyond the fence began to move. Thank you. That's a wonderful selection, and it gives, I think, the listeners, our listeners today, an idea of the um, kind of wonderful detail and metaphor you have in here, a bit of humor, and the sense of um, what Miriam is searching for and where she's trying to go in her life. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Speaking of humor... Miriam has a meltdown at the beginning of your book. <laughs> yes, um, and, and it's almost, and, and it's, it's a uniquely um, musical meltdown. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it is, uh, um, listeners, um, and it happens in a funeral, but um, it, it's still pretty funny. Um, in its way. Can you tell us a little bit about how you um, came to write this Miriam meltdown? So that scene at the beginning of the book has been so much a part of my concept of what sets her off that I don't even know where it came from anymore, to be honest. Um, I do know that years and years ago, um, I had never heard the song Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash until my um, brother-in-law sang it at a karaoke night on a cruise ship. So after the end, just something about um, her being at a funeral, um, the setup is that it's a year since her family passed away and she gets called in to do a funeral on her birthday, which is also the anniversary of their death. So it's like this piling on of everything bad that the universe could do to you. And so she's feeling pretty bruised when she goes in and she's doing a a funeral for a congressman who she does not think very highly of. Let's just put it that way. And so sometime in the middle of this, because it's a huge public funeral and she is in a very bad mental state, she just self-destructs and says, you know what, I'm just going to have a little bit of fun and I'm going to play around with Ring of Fire. Nobody has to actually know that I am honoring this congressman with by playing a song about a guy descending into a burning ring of fire at his funeral. And so she um, she just does this. She thinks it's totally in her head, but then the family recognizes it and she gets it's, it's, it is very funny, actually. Much funnier than it sounds when I even talk about it here. Um, but that, uh, I, I knew that she had to have some reason why she was no longer capable 
of the status quo. She had to be forced to recognize that she had reached a point that was unsustainable and that something had to change. And so I thought that the professional uh, meltdown was probably the best, the best way to accomplish that. It was great. Wonderful. I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, the, she, she riffs on a ring of fire. Um, what, at what I can't remember exactly what point in the service, but probably everybody didn't catch on, but certainly the widow did. And that, um, yes, you know, precipitated her, um, a very coming, public, yes. a very public dressing down. Yes. <laughs> her, her coming to, uh, the conclusion that things did indeed have to change. And I, I think you're, you know, it's a great way to um, move her into making this decision to go on this pilgrimage that she goes on um, in the in the book. Um, without giving too much away, um, I would say that the pace that you build throughout the book is wonderful. And so everything really cascades throughout her journey. Um, and, and although everything is neatly tied in a bow, we do have a sense of feeling, um, consoled really by the end of the book. At least yeah. that's, that's the way I felt about it. How, how did you make those decisions about how you were going to wrap it up? Cause those are often very difficult. Um, I will say that I knew the beginning and the end pretty early on, um, I will I will not tell you what the end is, but there is a particular image that threads through the book that is used at the very end. And um, that was done deliberately because I knew that this is a very heavy, this could be a very heavy topic potentially. Yes. Um, more than once in the writing of this book, when I tried to tell family members what it was about, I got kind of the deer in headlights look and they're like, I couldn't read that book. And I was like, well, please don't say that to me because I feel really strongly about this book. But I knew because of that, that I had to be hopeful. It could not be, I, I could not let it become heavy and depressing. It had to have the humor in it. It had to have a sense of hope. It had to have a sense of purpose. And so this journey that Miriam goes on is a journey of renewal and of rebirth and of hope and of self, um, learning, learning love, learning what it means to love, learning what it means to love yourself, to forgive yourself, learning how to, um, start anew. And that's that I knew that had to be part of it. So at every point along the trip, that was the thing that was the foremost in my mind is that this has to be something that brings us to a hopeful place. Right, because it's a uh, it's a pretty heavy beginning. Yes, um, you're. I love many of the images that you have in the book. I especially like the ones that you use to talk about um, Miriam's thoughts about her mother and some of the things that she ends up remembering. Maybe that she had long buried such as um, the Vicks. Mm -hmm. That's and been my own childhood. I, I, you know, most of us of a certain age would, would think of that, the hot dryer. Um, and the understanding about 
doing things like cleaning the dish and um, remembering that her mother was loving by doing. Can you talk a little bit about loving by doing? You know, there's a a book out there called The Five Love Languages or whatever, and I have never read it, but that concept has been something that's been in my mind for a long time. The idea that people resonate with different, there are different ways of feeling loved. And I actually use that with my children when I'm, when I need, when I know that there's something that, a, a gap that needs to be bridged, I always start there. What, what makes you feel loved? Because I think that we have culturally sort of an idea of what love is that's kind of off base. And that's what Miriam is struggling with through all of this, that Teo, her husband was a a romantic. He like gave her these gifts, you know, and he would surprise her with these, these wonderful over the top things. And um, Miriam felt incredibly inadequate because she didn't feel those things. And so she interpreted that as I didn't love my husband and my children. When in reality, she is like her mother, a person who loves by doing. And it takes her a very, very long time to come to the conclusion that um, what she's angry with her mother about, what she's angry with herself about, are not wrong. They're, They're not a lack of love. It's just a different way of expressing it. And I think that that's something that's very important. I, I, one of the things that I think is fantastic about fiction is that we have the chance to experience um, problems and learn universal truths in a less threatening way. Like it's not somebody standing there and saying, you're wrong about how you think about this, but because we, instead we can enter into the experience of another person who's learning that they are wrong about something. And I think that that's, um, that's the power of fiction is to be able to do that. And I wanted to explore that because there are so many ways in which um, I, I want us to be healthier as, as, a, as people. And so whatever I can, um, whatever I can explore about love, that's, I I think we will be better people for learning those lessons, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to jump back in here in a second. uh, And uh, I've really enjoyed this uh, episode. And I want to tell you listeners that we've got something uh, fun we're going to be doing here in just a moment. We're going to jump over to Patreon with uh, Kathleen and also Chris. And we're going to Talk about a topic, the intersection of music and writing. You've heard some singing here today, but you're also going to hear some uh, some flute in the next episode, which will be which will be fun. Uh, you can you can listen there at Patreon p a t r e o n dot com forward slash Charlotte Rears Podcast. It's uh, uh, just a few bucks a month, and you can help us support the podcast and get some great uh, exclusive content. Uh, but before that, because uh, I've been listening intently, I always have a question or two at the end here. And uh, Kathleen. You know, I'm listening to you talk about your book here, and there's this journey that this protagonist is on. And I and I I know that authors invest a significant amount of their lives in the chair, thinking about coming up with the idea, putting the idea out there into the world. Your character was searching for something on this journey. Was there something you as the author were searching for? 
That's a good question. Um, throughout my journey as a writer, the uh, I've been searching for the story that would speak universally enough to be able to break through. And when I came up with this idea, I I thought this is this is it. This is the one that that can do that. Um, I do have my writing is I approach my whole writing, whether I'm writing music or whether I'm writing nonfiction or fiction, as a desire to make the world better. And what I was just talking about with um, fiction having the power to to teach us things, I have not had to struggle with the questions that Miriam has had to struggle with because I feel like I grew up in a really good background where I had a good understanding of what love was and I'm very analytical, but I've seen so much pain in other people that I guess if I had to say my, my through line through this was to try to open up that understanding of love that I never had to fight the way Miriam did for other people who maybe have had to fight it. And that's my hope is that doing that will help to bring healing to somebody that might read it. Yeah, I think you went ahead and answered the next question I was going to ask, which is what you hoped uh, readers would get get from, the, <laughs> for, get from this book. That's great. Uh, well, look, uh, this is going to be fun. We're going to jump over. Uh, we've actually got a clip, too, we're going to play on, on, on Patreon when we do that. Uh, uh, I want to thank Chris uh, for uh, for leading this uh, today. Appreciate it, Chris. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and Kathleen, thanks for being a part of Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.